Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. The final chapter of Ursula K. Le Guin's third Earthsea novel, The Farthest Shore, includes a vivid description of a homecoming riding on a dragon's back. In fact, the oldest dragon in existence, Kalesin. But it begins with Ged and Arin, or Labanin is his, his true name, having emerged from the dry land. Labanin took them over the mountains of pain and they emerge onto the beach. Both are totally exhausted. Labanin, both physically and spiritually, Ged as well. And Ged has also exhausted his entire power as a mage. He, at one point, once he wakes up and there's a question, should he take his staff? He says, I'm not a mage anymore. I poured out all the power that I had to close up this rift between the two different realms. And so what we find at the beginning of this chapter is Arin or Labanin really struggling and trying to tend to, to Ged, who is totally unresponsive. There's a description, very cold, very heavy Ged seemed to him. He'd borne him over the boundary from death into life, but maybe in vain. He put his ear to Ged's breast, but could not still the shaking in his own limbs and the chattering of his teeth to listen for the heartbeat. He goes to a stream and fills up water bottles, water skins rather, and there he sees the iron black dragon by the spring. And, you know, up until this point, it's been largely Ged and Labanin working with the dragons, or at least some of the dragons, to counteract this threat, but he has no idea what to expect at this time. So he, here's the description. At last he sat up, and as he did so, he saw on the far side of the stream immense a dragon, its head the color of iron, stained as with red rust at nostril and eye socket and jowl, hung facing almost over him. The talons sank deep into the soft wet sand on the edge of the stream. The folded wings were partly visible like sails, but the length of the dark body was lost in the fog. It did not move. It might have been crouching there for hours or for years or centuries. It was carven of iron shaped from rock, but the eyes, the eyes he dared not look into, the eyes like oil coiling on water like yellow smoke behind glass, the opaque, profound yellow eyes watched Arin. There was nothing he could do. He so he stood up. If the dragon would kill him, it would. And if it did not, he would try to help Ged if there was any help for him. It says the dragon did nothing. It crouched unmoving and watched. So he goes and fills the water skins up, tries to get Ged to drink, and he is tending to him when the dragon comes over. And this is just the next page. This is a little bit later on in the day. There was a noise as of metal rubbing against metal, the grating whisper of crossed swords, the iron-colored dragon had risen on its its crooked legs. It moved and crossed the rivulet with a soft hissing sound as it dragged its long body through the sand. Aaron saw the wrinkles at the shoulder joints, the mail of the flank scored and scarred like the armor of Aerith Akba, and the long teeth yellowed and blunt. In all this, and in its sure ponderous movements, and in a deep and frightening calmness that it had, he saw the sign of age. 
of great age, of years beyond remembering. So Aaron puts two and two together and he doesn't speak the old speech that the dragons speak and the mages learn. And he says in Hardic, the language of, of Earthsea, art thou Kalesan? Are, are you the oldest of, of dragons at this point? The dragon doesn't talk to him, he says, but it seemed to smile. Then lowering its huge head and sticking out its neck, it looked down at Ged and spoke his name. Its voice was huge and soft and smelt like a blacksmith's forge. Three times it calls Ged's name. On the third time, Ged awakens and he recognizes him. Kalesin, he said, and then he speaks to him in the old speech. And the dragon moves over. The dragon puts out a great mailed foot, almost touching him. The talons of that foot were four with a spur behind as a cock's foot has, but these are spurs of steel, long as scythe blades. So long like this, giant nails. And the dragon says to him a word, sobriost like a January wind through frozen weeds. And Aaron misinterprets. He says, leave Ged alone. He's had enough. He's gone through a lot. Don't bother him. Let him rest. And Ged wakes up and says, oh no, there's something else going on here. The dragon is telling you, mount up. Get, get up here. I'm putting my foot out so you can climb up on that. And that's what they do. And <laughs> Aaron's thoughts are, this is all folly. But there was the great talent foot set like a step in front of him and above it, the crook of the elbow joint and above it, the jutting shoulder and the musculature of the wing where it sprang from the shoulder blade, four steps, a stairway. And there in front of the wings in the first great iron thorn of the spine armor in the hollow of the neck, there was a place for a man to sit astride or two men if they were mad and past hope and given up to folly. And that is indeed where they are. They are at the end of the world, at Celador. The boat, look far, as Leguin remarks, is on a different coast of Celador, totally unprovisioned. There is no way to go anywhere other than with this dragon. And so it is folly, but it is what it is. And Arryn helps Ged to mount up. And Collison turned and looked at them sidelong. The ancient laughter was in its eye. Whether Collison was male or female, there was no telling what Collison thought. There was no knowing. And, you know, they, they begin to, to fly over Salador to the east. And then we get this account, right, of a few islands seeing the dragon, a great dragon flying over them. Some of them saying, wow, look at this. And some of them say, oh, no, this is terrible. But the dragon keeps on going. It doesn't bother with any of them until it comes to the one place where apparently no dragons can go. But in reality, this dragon can go, the island of Roke, and it lands. What happens then? Never in the, in the memory of man, scarcely in the memory of legend, had any dragon braved the walls visible and invisible of the well-defended isle. This one did not hesitate, but flew on ponderous wings and heavily over the western shore of Roke, above the villages and fields to the green hill that rises over Twilltown. There, at last, it stopped slowly to the earth, raised its red wings and folded them and crouched on the summit of Roke Knoll. We find that the council has been restored. The patterner comes from his grove. The changer had returned two nights before in the shape of a great sea osprey and the summoner gaunt and frail only one day risen from his bed had come and beside him stood the doorkeeper and the other masters of the isle of the wise were there what did they see 
Now it's kind of told through their eyes. They saw the riders dismount, one aiding the other. They saw them look about with a look of strange contentness, grimness, and wonder. Ged speaks to the dragon, and it briefly answers him. And those who understood heard the dragon say, I have brought the young king to his kingdom and the old man to his home. Notice what he's saying there. Ged is the old man. Ged is the archmage, but now he's no longer a mage at all. So how can he be the archmage? He is only an old man, despite being a hero of legends. Arryn, who came just as a young man, full of promise perhaps, but nobody knowing exactly what he would be, he is now the king. And it's a dragon saying this in the hearing of the Masters of Roke. So that's not nobody saying it, right? That's not him asserting it. Ged says, a little farther yet, Kalesin, I have not gone where I must go. Then he turns to Arryn, and in the sight of them all, Ged knelt to him down on both knees and bowed his great head, saying, When you come to your throne in Havnor, my lord and dear companion, rule long and well. So this is a passing on of something. There is some conjecture that maybe a king was needed and not an archmage, that power would pass, rulership would pass, guidance would pass from one to the other. Ged is going to go back onto his childhood home in the island of Gaunt. So he looked again at the masters and the young wizards and the boys and the town folk gathered on the slopes and at the foot of the knoll. His face was quiet and in his eyes was something like the laughter in the eyes of Kalesin. Turning from them all, he mounted up again by the dragon's foot and shoulder and took his seat, reinless between the great peaks of the wings on the neck of the dragon. Kalesin, the eldest, sprang into the air and it circled the hill once and flew off north and eastward towards that quarter of Earthsea where stands the mountain isle of Gaunt. The doorkeeper has the last word saying, he has done with doing, he goes home. That's how we know that it's, it's going to be Gaunt that he's going to. And this is the end of the story. This is the end of of the trilogy with the coming of the new young king and the end of the career of this great wizard, Ged. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com slash sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works. <laughs>